So, bauen wir ja eine Reakte zu Exakt. the number one podcast in the sport where it's okay to punch people in the face for a living but it's not okay to threaten to punch someone in the face at a press conference you know <laughs> welcome welcome to episode number who knows 57 i have no idea but we keep it going just someone asked me how many more of these do i think i've got in me and i think my answer was well my actually my answer was i'll probably get to 100 on this and then I might be done with boxing. So we're into that that final lap. I think if you if you count everything, sort of new age, and then everything I've done since, I've got to be on like three fifty, maybe four hundred episodes. I don't know. It's somewhere like that, man. I feel like I feel like the Ryan gigs of podcasting. I've just got so many miles on me now, and I'm starting to starting to feel it a little bit. But this isn't about me. This is about you guys, and it's about the sport of boxing. And we're, we're not in a good place. Let's be brutally honest right now. I, I want to keep it really focused. British boxing is in a really bad place right now, October 2021. We're in a really, really dark place. The Sky Show on Saturday was poor. Now, if you go back two weeks, I was full of praise for what they were doing. And now I start to look back and I go, was I just caught up in the moment? Was I just happy to see Linus on TV? Happy to see G-Man Brown on TV? Was I just happy to see people finally get the platform they deserve? It feels a bit like that now because I saw the Newcastle show and I had the benefit of distance. And, you know, in their defense, they lost Lewis Ritson, right? But Lewis Ritson was, was already done on Sky. You know, Lewis Ritson, we... We'd kind of seen his ceiling, and I think even he's admitted he's not world level. So what fight were they going to give us on Saturday? I have no idea, but we know what Lewis Ritson is. You know, he's not a guy, you wouldn't even put him in with Conor Ben. You know, let's be honest, you wouldn't. It would be a very rough night for him. So once that had gone, you're kind of left with kind of like a bits and pieces card. And in a way, it was kind of saved by the energy that Eubank brought along with Roy Jones and, you know... <laughs> Nothing makes you happier as a boxing fan than the fact that Roy Jones has been in the UK for about a month now. And I don't think there's any question that having Roy on our shores has been a definite, you know, Philip in a shot in the arm for some fans who, you know, Britain shows out for the legends then. And what I love is Roy is one of the legends that delivers, right? What a man. Um, I wonder if that tune is actually out on Spotify now. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I think that's due for a rerun. It's a hell of a song now. I'd, you know, Maybe in the mid-90s it was all sort of crowded out by 
what people call real hip-hop, but just higher-quality hip-hop. And I think in this era now, man, Roy might make a few quid off that, pay off those tax debts. But what a class act Roy's been in his time here. And I think Eubank has been a really good ambassador for the Sky brand as well. I think they're glad they finally got him. From, from what I understand, they've always wanted Eubank on Sky. The problem was always Hearn. Like the Eubanks didn't want to deal with Hearn. Now Hearn's out the way. Sky have one of the men they want. And if they can get Joshua as well, they've done what they set out to do. But let's zero in on this Newcastle show because it wasn't good. Like it just wasn't good. Um, the young lady, April Hunter, you know, lost on a like home show, home. I mean, that's your coming out party, really. And, and you lose. And I don't know how good she was, but from the noise that people were making about April Hunter, you'd have thought that this was the next best thing since sliced bread. And then I looked at it and I said, hold on. Are we now in the era of manufactured prospects? Where like 17 tweets about someone and now suddenly they're a real prospect, having done nothing in the ring that is noteworthy. You know, people aren't having to prove themselves in a boxing ring anymore. It's all being done via social media. And if you've got a bit of a buzz, people will watch you. Now, the real problem is boxing is one of those where the proof of the pudding is 100% in the eating. So if you're not really built for that fighting life, and if you don't know how to grit out a win, if you don't know how to really bring out that, that warrior in you, there's no way back. And from what I saw on Saturday... Don't bring April Hunter back. Definitely not as an A-side because that wasn't good enough. I'm not saying anything against her. I just don't think that was good enough. And there are a lot of these kind of manufactured prospects. And it looks like a few of them might be on Boxer. You know, the, the big heavyweight, Steve Robinson. Great lad. Good story. Fantastic. Looks like Drago. Like, there's nothing to fault. Like, when you, the, that eye test, that pre-fight eye test, you look at him and you go, there's money in the kid. But I can name four guys that beat that guy easily in the amateurs, and they haven't even turned pro yet. And when they turn pro, they'll do the same to him. So it's hard to talk about this guy fighting for this or fighting for that when there are guys in his peer group better than him. But we don't talk about that because Sky are trying to sell you something. But... Like I said, these are manufactured prospects. These promoters are just trying to make their money. It's essentially a grift. Let's not mess around. That's what these guys are doing. The only people on that card that were worth taking note of were Eubank Jr., Savannah Marshall, and Huey Fury. Everything else on there was just filler. Right? It was just going nowhere, doing nothing filler. So if we look at the, the, the name brand fighters, Eubank Jr., through the motions, we just want to see him in big fights. I think, I think he's he's better than people give him credit for. You know, you, you saw a different version of Eubank on Saturday, and I thought, okay, I can see the progression here. But we just we love savage Eubank. We love posturing Eubank. That's where he makes his money. Now, whether you can do that against guys like Golovkin and Jamal Charlo, uh, Jamal Charlo, sorry, no idea. Would love to find out, though. But I'm a big Eubank fan, so I'm always going to be biased in that sense, and people know that. I think he's got upside, but we need to see him in the meaningful fights. I, I don't care too much about the Liam Williams fight, to be honest with you, because Liam Williams is still most famous for beating Mark Heffron, but Denzel Bentley beat Mark Heffron. So, you know, you take that with a pinch of salt. If, in terms of Huey, 
I'll always be a Huey Fury fan because there's something that's quite old school about the way he boxes, and I quite enjoy that. And there's a bit more spite in what he's doing now. And maybe now we're starting to see the the peak Huey Fury. I hope so, because we've kind of we've been on this journey with him for a long time and he's flattered to deceive for a long time. But now you look at him and you go, I like the look of him. He looks like a solid man. He looks like a guy who you wouldn't want to mess with. Now he's got that receding hairline now, which shows maturity. So, I, you know, Christian Hammer's a good win. It's a good name. It's, it shows the level he's at. You know, you could see Huey fighting the final eliminator for a world title. Now, would he win that? I don't know. But he's in that company. So now is the time he's got to start calling out people like Hergovich and Parker, not Parker, sorry, Yoka, and, you know, all those other guys, Effiek, Jagba, Frank Sanchez. Now it's time for Huey to call those guys out and say, you're my generation age-wise. Let's get it on. That's what I'm waiting for him to do. And I'm hearing that he's going to fight Derek Chisora next. And I'm like, what's that going to tell us? What's that really going to tell us? Not much. So let's try and move beyond that. Like let, let's 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 give Huey career-defining fights where he can show he's one of the best, if not the best, of his generation, because he's in that discussion and he's done all the hard work to get to that point, and he deserves it now. And then Savannah Marshall, ah, uh, what a dominant performance, by the way. And I don't think we appreciate how dominant Savannah Marshall is. I don't think we appreciate how hard she hits, and I don't think we appreciate how dangerous she is when she lets the inner savage out. The reason I feel sorry for her, and this is why I really, really feel for her, there's only one fight that she can have that the fans care about. Just one fight, one woman, and that's all we care about, right? If she doesn't fight Clarissa Shields, everything else is just shadow boxing to us. It's just shadow boxing. We want to see her fight Clarissa Shields, and we want to find out Who's top of this boxing tree once and for all? You know, I think Savannah can do it. I genuinely think Savannah can do it for any number of reasons, but mainly because she's got that, that, that kind of Tommy Hearns leverage when she hits people now, which means she can attack from further out. So does Clarissa Shields want to be walking through that kind of fire to let her shots go? I don't know, but it'll be a hardest test. I don't know who wins that fight. I'd, I'd lean towards Clarissa based on experience, but in terms of the raw materials, man, Savannah Marshall's hard to mess with. But one of the things I want to come back on in terms of the Newcastle show is it felt like the dark old days. It felt like the dark days of 2008 to 2010 when it was dingy venues, dingy production, second-rate everything. And that's not saying the fighters were second rate, but everything around them was second rate. So these are the days of watching guys like Prince Aaron in the early days of Matty Askin, Shane McPhilbin, um, Gavin Reese, And you know, you're watching all of these sorts of guys coming through. And they're not bad fighters, by the way, but they were just in that era where there were no stars. You know, David Hay was kind of the only name that people could relate to at that level. You know, you're in that sort of post-Calzaghe world. Froch is kind of somewhere but Frotchett wasn't who he became under Eddie Hearn so you're just in this malaise and there were too many promoters there was Hennessy there was Hatton there was Hobson there was Hearn that's a lot of H's by the way there was Frank and there was I mean Oliver Harrison was putting on shows everyone was putting on shows and the, ta the talent was diluted that's why the product was terrible and it feels like we're back there again 
And we need to get to a point where the talent's concentrated. You know, people can complain all they want, but you get better fights when the talent's concentrated. And we've gone back to those dark old days of, like, Hey Harrison, and you know those sorts of fights where, like, me fans just switched off after Audley Harrison versus David Hay. The fans actually just switched off of boxing because that's when they said the sport's a joke. Hey man, if you think back to those dark days of Hey Harrison, and you've got who have you got in there? Hefron on the card, um, Nav Mansouri on the card. You know, it was. I mean, penny pinching, right? So when we, when we say that pay-per-view is not what it used to be, oh, no, no, it really is in this country. It's, it's always been terrible. It will always be terrible because everyone's too greedy. The contrast with all of that actually was that might have been the same night you had the ABA finals. And they would have been the ABA finals where you had Tasha Jonas, Nicola Adams, um, Tom Stalker, Josh Taylor, Luke Campbell would have been there, I imagine. I want to say Anthony Fowler, but I might be wrong. Joshua was definitely there. And I think he fought Armin Ice in the ABA finals there. So you almost got to see the, the end of an era and the beginning of a new era because they're the people we kind of watch now. And I just say that to remind people that there's value in pursuing the amateurs because that's where the future comes from. But that Saturday show felt like going back to the dark days where fans just lost interest because there were no real stars and there were no epic fights. There were no real rivalries. And boxing would do well to understand what drove the money. Remember, in the mid-2010s, in, in mid it was Frotch Groves that was a catalyst. Brooke versus Sean Porter was another key event. And that kind of Joshua quest for Undisputed. They were the three things that really drove boxing. So let's look at those objectively. Frotch Grove is dead. Right? That came and went. Joshua's road to Undisputed feels more, feels more like Milton Keynes, doesn't it? Roundabout into roadblock, into roundabout, into God knows what. But it just doesn't move straight. And you think, so when is this? When is it ever going to happen, if ever? And then Brooke Porter didn't give us what we wanted. We ne it never gave us Brooke Mayweather. So as a boxing fan, you're used to being disappointed. We never get what we deserve. Don't even get what we want. And I think Sky have a long way to go to turn that around. I just think we're, we're drifting into the boxing dark ages now. All it will take is for Usyk to defeat Joshua, and then that will be boxing back in the dark ages. Let me just touch on the Dillian White situation real quick. So, as things stand, there are rumours that Dillian White's fight with Otto Island is off, right? And kudos to Dev Sani for, for spotting this. Like, I think Dev called this, what, two weeks ago, ten days ago? And Dev, yeah, Dev had pretty sound logic. He said, well, hold on, Dillian's interim champion, which means at some point he's got to fight the real champion. So why would you take a risky fight against Otto Wallen? Well, the answer is simple, right? The money. But what we now know from the whole DAZN thing, and there's more on that to come, what we now know in the whole DAZN thing is the money ain't that great. So now you're like, I'm going to risk that and a Fury payday to fight Otto Wallen, a six foot six, pretty heavy Swede who can punch and isn't an 
he's not an idiot in the ring. He's no Joseph Parker. He comes to fight. I'm going to risk that. Why? Now, none of us really know the ins and outs of it, but you imagine if it is a tactical move, you imagine they've looked at all angles on this, right? But you also imagine Wallen's promoter, Dimitri Salitas, looked at this as well and said, well, we have a contract. And the thing about a contract is you can't unilaterally cancel a contract. As long as Otto Wallen is willing and able to fight on October 30th, he has every right to insist that fight happens. I don't know. What are we looking at now? 10 days away? So let's, let's really unpick this. So we're into the week where you start to taper down. Right? You're in the week when you start to taper down. You're probably not going to do any hard sparring because you don't want to get injured. So where does the injury happen? No idea. You know, is it real? Is it not? No idea. And I wouldn't disrespect anyone by saying they're faking an injury. What I am saying is, from a paperwork perspective, if, if the reason the fighters offers an injury, the fight has to be rescheduled. And I have a feeling Salita will go to the WBC and say, look, we have a fight for the interim title. That fight has to happen. And I know the WBC will say, you're right, Mr. Salita. This fight has to happen. Before Dillian can fight Tyson Fury, he must fight Otto Wallen. There'll be no way around that. And people will say, oh, it's not fair. Here's something you guys need to understand. The WBC owe British promoters nothing, right? Where the belt is works perfectly for them. Fury versus Wallen in the US works better for them. You know, the, the, the selling point for this was we can get a UK pay-per-view, nice little trip, nice bit of money, and then the winner will fight Fury, nice little trip, nice bit of money. That's two paydays for our organization. If this fight doesn't happen, that's one payday. So what do you have to do? Then you'd have to admit, right, we're going to bribe these guys so we don't have to do this fight. Doesn't make any sense. I expect the fight will have to happen, and it won't be the choice of a promoter, It'll be a choice of the WBC. The fight will have to happen. Because the right thing has to happen. Wildlands put money into this camp. And at this level, people shouldn't be out of pocket. That doesn't set a good tone for boxing. So I think that's what, that's what will likely happen. They will reschedule it. And it may be for early in the new year. And that makes sense because what it will mean is whoever goes into it will be fresher I think my understanding is Fury will probably take between now and the end of the year off and then he'll start training with a view to fighting maybe May time so if you're Dillian what do you want to do maybe fight in January have a month down then start training again February March time all the way to the fight why not I think that would be better for me nice to stay active. I don't know if you want to fight Fury when you're rusty. So if you fight now and you have to fight Fury again till May, what are you going to do in between? You're not going to take on another fight because that's more risk. So I think, 
I think the postponement's good. I think you'll fight Ottawa Island again because you need that kind of fight before you fight Fury. There's no point otherwise because then you'd be basically saying, I just showed up for the payday. And all of the fans who have stood behind you are like, we want you to win a world title. We don't want you to show up for a payday. We want you to go there and give Tyson Fury hell. And I think that's what Dillian wants to do. So I think the fight will happen. I don't, he doesn't strike me as a guy that's going to make a move like that. Because he's not, uh, sounds cruel to say, but he's not Joshua. He's a fighting man. man. He, he will, I think he'll do the fight. I have faith in him. Because that's almost like, Dillian's the last shred of credibility British boxing has right now. Dillian and Derek Chisora are the last two credible people we have in this sport in terms of fight anyone, anywhere, anytime. If that doesn't happen in this case, that's one of our pillars gone. So let's hope that the fight actually ends up happening. Can I just touch on the GB squad quickly? So they've selected a squad, um, the male squad for the world championships. I don't know if anyone has seen it. If you have, you'll be like me going, the cupboard's really, really bare. Now, when I look at the list of people on there, am I excited by anyone? Not really, being honest. Harris Akbar, yeah, I like Harris Akbar. Been a fan of Harris Akbar. I think I saw him training in Bradford about five years ago. I never know if he's part of the Akbar's family. They have all the, the, the restaurants in Leeds and Bradford, but really good food in there, by the way. And if he is, then, man, he's bankrolled for life. He's all right. He'll, he'll definitely find a pro gig somewhere because that's a machine to have behind you. But it goes to show that the standard's been declining steadily. I know people say, you, we won our highest medal hall. Yeah. But if you really look at it, who's the standout name of that 2020 vintage? Ben Whitaker, Lauren Price, for sure, yeah. But outside of that, you're not blown away by anyone. In this 2021 World Championship squad, you're not blown away by anyone. And that's not to say they're not good. It's just to say we haven't been developing the talent like we used to. In the old days, there'd be at least three names you could put in every weight class and say, any of these guys could go there and do a good job. We don't have that anymore. And that's down to a number of things. It's the kids aren't walking through the doors. We don't have trainers who are good enough anymore. A lot of the old guys are either retiring. So uh, Lewis Pettit's old man at Nemesis, he stopped. Um, we've lost Tony Burns. You know, Steve Heiser's getting on a bit now. Obviously, 10 years ago, we lost Mick Carney. You know, so some of these old school heads. I mean, you still got Sid Khan over at Earlsfield, who's still, you know, trying to churn out the champions. Uh, you got Mickey Delaney over at Dell Youth, but, you know, that's not forever. And we're not getting the next generation of guys coming through. If you look at a lot of trainers now, and this is the thing that distresses me, I can watch a trainer do something on the pads, and I can tell you which internet video he took that from. I can tell you who he took it from, I can tell you when, how, why. And here's the thing. The guy doing it over here doesn't understand why he's doing it. He's just copying something. So he doesn't know what good looks like. So a lot of these kids, as I said earlier, look good on social media in little 15-second clips. Come fight night, they can't move their feet. Come fight night, they can't position themselves. Come fight night, they can't fight off the ropes. They can't do the basics. They can't manage the pace. They can't manage the intensity. They can't do anything you need to do 
to be successful in the ring. But they can do 100, 100 hit combinations on the pad, which is always good, right? And that's what I mean when I say the standard of coaching is not there anymore because the guys who knew what they were doing have just stepped away. They don't like it anymore. And you've had essentially personal trainers popping up from, I don't know, man, Surrey, Hertfordshire, and now they're the guys making a career out of this. Good luck to them, but for me, it doesn't float my boat. So I'm not really excited by these world championships. But generally after the Olympics, amateur boxing is quite flat. And then it's the, the year after that and subsequent years where it will get interesting. So 2022, 2023, we should see the standard pick up. But now's a good time to, to switch over to the, to the other side of the fence. And let's, let's, let's talk Eddie for a sec. Because if you go back, Eddie was never really high Mikey Garcia. In the pre zone days, never really high. No, no one really was. Like, he, off that uppercut on Zlatichinin, is that how you say it? I think it is. He built this profile as kind of like this master boxer. Because what happened? The internet analysts all started doing the videos. Like, why Mikey, Garcia, why Mikey Garcia is the master of efficiency and he does this and he does that. And people really bought into this and thought, this guy could move up the weights and do this. Wherever he wanted, from 135 to 147, you know, he could win belts. Maybe. But the Errol Spence fight showed, when it came down to it, there was no dog in Mikey Garcia. Because it's not even like he went out on his, I mean, on his, not, I don't want to say on his shield, because I think that's hackneyed now, but he didn't even try and make a fight of it. And really, okay, Spencer's got size and strength, but he shouldn't have ring IQ over you. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's the whole thing people were raving about with Mikey Garcia was that ring IQ. So after the Spence fight, I think we kind of all knew he was a bit of a bust. Even Eddie knew he was a bit of a bust. But he was a name in the hardcore circles, and he's a name in the Latin American community. So Hearn takes a chance on him. Starts building him up. Maybe this is my foothold in the United States. Puts him in against Sandor Martin. Who you'd expect him to beat? Like, Sandra Martins is not amazing, but he's not terrible either. People know my views on the Spanish boxers. I think they're masters in, you know, various forms of cultivating nuts, berries, and maybe squeezing some juices. Who knows? But I just realized I didn't do my proper intro. So just going to remind you guys, man, this is the number one boxing... Nah. So, so Mikey Garcia and Sandor Martin, essentially you know, close fight, competitive fight, but Mikey Garcia loses. Loses. So all of that talk about Mikey Garcia, Josh Taylor, all of that talk about this, that, and the third, and you can you can park Sandor Martin as a fight for Josh Taylor because it's not worth anyone's time. And so it comes back to this dilemma. You look at that that matchroom stable now. And it's threadbare. It's, it's second rate. Like There are a lot of good prospects on the way up, but geez, it's terrible. For the money that's been spent, remember this, yeah? Eddie was telling us they've got all the money in the world to spend. So for the money they've spent to not have a Broner, to not even have a Devin Haney anymore, to not have Sean Porter, to not have a Terence Crawford, all of these people we know would love the paydays. 
That lets you know that there's something really toxic about that zone situation. Now, from a boxing perspective, we know Eddie's on, he's on his last legs there, and he needs a home run. Right? It's as simple as that. He needs a home run. Joshua's hit the skids. Canelo doesn't really need him anymore because Canelo's getting that, that Espinosa money. So what's Eddie's role right now? Like, the, the biggest fight in female boxing is on Sky. Nothing else really matters. Outside of that, nothing else really matters. He, Eddie's not building anything. He had the card in Liverpool, which is good, but that's a transactional card. That's a card that just pleases British fans. It has no global appeal. And so you start to dig deep and you say, okay, let's, let's really strip all of this out and go, what's the big game that's happening here? It's, it's very easy for fans. As, you know, fans will say, yeah, well, DAZN will just buy BT Sport and that's problem solved. Yeah, DAZN will just go and buy BT Sport, problem solved. Not so simple. And I'll try and explain why with reference to some of the things I've heard from people involved in the strategic review. So what happened was BT said, we need a strategic review, right? The things BT have to do, number one, free up some cash flow, right? That's one of the key things. We need to get some cash flow somehow because there's some investment we have to make. It might be 5G, it might be whatever. What are our strategic options? And one of the ones they looked at was, do you need a sports business? What value does this add to the overall corporate proposition? If you took this away, would it harm your revenue? Not really. Your BT Sport breaks even, maybe makes a little bit of money, which is good. In an overinflated rights market, that's really good. But it's not, a, it's not a rapid growth business. It's stable, it's mature. You've got the numbers you've got. So what do you do with that? You just keep it running? You can do, but that's draining cash flow. So they looked at strategic options. So one is you divest it, right? You carve it out of BT, set it up as its own company. And at that point, you can list it. You can sell it to another industry player. You can do whatever, but you carve it out. And that seems to be the most attractive option. Now, how you do that is completely up to you, right? So most people think, well, yeah, the zone will just, just buy it. Now, you got to remember, the value of that company is the value of those rights. Now, I have no idea how much BT paid for the Premier League, the Champions League, and the rugby. But even if we say it's 500 mil a year, to get access to that, you have to buy out those contracts at their market value as a minimum because BT are not a distressed seller. Do the zone have the eight, 900 million? Probably not. But what happens in this process is everyone gets to look at each other's books. So the zone will get to look at BT's books. BT will get to look at the zone's books. And here's the thing that no one has talked about. Why wouldn't BT just buy the zone? Right? You buy the zone. So you get that international expansion, you carve the company out, list it. It runs as a standalone business. I'm sure the sales will help pare down the debt and you can do all of this and it becomes its own concern. 
It gives BT the cash it needs. It gives the zone some investment capital. No one's saying that's going to happen, but they're essentially the two options going forward, really, the most likely one. So option one, BT just sells to the zone. It's cleaner, it's easier, money comes in. Two, you either merge or you take over the zone. And then list. BT still get money, but there's the, the hassle of you know, having to manage the process. The zone get the exit they've always wanted for their investors, hopefully at a good valuation, and the business gets to run and stand and fall on its own merits. Third option is you go elsewhere. So would Facebook want to buy? You know, would they want to run you know, TV rights? Would Amazon want to buy? No idea. But these are all options on the table. That's why, that's why this process is taking so long, because BT are like, well, we're not forced to sell, number one. Number two, we have more money than you deserve. So be careful we don't buy you. And so to all of these tensions, but what it means is whatever happens, does not have to get cash. Right? They have to get the cash. That's why Canelo leaving and breaking his contract was good for DAZN. Because that total contract was on their balance sheet. Was it 365 million? Was on their balance sheet. Had they signed Joshua, his guarantees would have been on that balance sheet. So when you ask yourself, why have they gone to a pay-per-view model? The answer is really simple. It takes the financial commitment for a Canelo or a Joshua off the balance sheet. It means you can actually sign people like Joshua because I don't do guarantees anymore. You're just going to get what we make on the pay-per-view. So now Joshua doesn't cost me anything on the balance sheet until he fights. Whereas Canelo, if Canelo has a 10-fight deal, that's on the balance sheet till the 10 fights are up. If he breaks his leg and is out for two years, still sits on the balance sheet. It means you can depreciate it over more years, but that's neither here nor there. So into all of this, you've got Eddie. So Eddie's being told you can spend less money now. He's also being told... You can't put on these massive events because we don't have the, the cash flow because we're really trying to get all of our money either into debt repayments or we're trying to get it into an acquisition for lucrative sports rights. So Eddie's trying to make the most of a situation in the hope that further down the line there's more money. So when he says he's got a healthy nine-figure deal, that may be true, but it looks like it's backloaded. So probably 60% of the value comes at the end of the contract as opposed to at the beginning, which is what they did before, and they basically burned all the money. And so now the pressure's on her, and you've got to build some stars, and if you build stars, at the end of your five-year deal, everyone makes a, a bucket load of cash. So that's the mess that is the zone, and that's what Hearn finds himself in, is essentially he's not going to have the money for these deals. So Dillian's not going to be, get paid fabulously, Derek won't get paid fabulously for fighting on the zone, they won't. But the expectation is by their next fights, there'll be a pay-per-view option. And that's how you take the costs off the balance sheet and put them back where they should belong with the fan. So when you get annoyed that they're going to charge $29.99, it was always coming for a start. But it's also now you understand that they had to get that money off the balance sheet. When they say they can't make AJ versus Usyk 2 on free to air, it's not anything other than the zone don't want to sit on $70 million of cash. 
that they could be using to pay down debts or using to pay their staff. And that money's going to sit in escrow for how long? And you're not getting any interest on it. So that's what ends up happening, right? That's why you're going to see that. Yeah, so Joshua fights on pay-per-view for that reason. And all those other big fights would be for that reason. But now turn it around. If you're DAZN, what are you going to say? We paid $4 million for Joshua v. Ruiz 2. We didn't carry any of the balance sheet risk of putting the fights on, managing the pay-per-view. We just bought the international licensing rights for $4 million. That's all we wanted to do, and that's all we did. Why wouldn't they do that again? Why, why have Joshua, you know I mean, dragging down your revenues when you could just say, look, let him stay with Sky. We'll just buy the rights for the non-UK broadcast. It's fine. It's cheaper. But then, what does that mean for Eddie? Can Eddie still put on these events? I don't know. Although there's always the option that Joshua just goes it alone. So Joshua could just go it alone and say, do you know what, we're going to do this AJ boxing thing. Eddie organizes the event. I will underwrite my own shows from now on. Don't think it's realistic, but that's another option that could happen. So basically, I say all of that to say, no British promoter right now is in a strong position. The Americans have seen us off, easily seen us off. And the bits of us they didn't deal with, the Eastern Europeans definitely dealt with. So boxing's in a really, really dark place right now. For years, they didn't give us the fights we wanted, the fights we begged for. Now the Americans are giving us those fights, right? When it, we've had Fury, Wilder 3. We're going to get Terence Crawford versus Sean Porter. We're getting all the fights we want on the other side of the Atlantic. And over here, people are still dithering and not realizing that they're killing boxing due to their selfishness. Yeah. Far too many promoters. You know, this is like the dark days of 2009 when you had Hatton, uh, Barry Hearn, Frank Warren. Call was probably doing something. You know, you had Dennis doing his thing out there. And that was the era like, you know, where Liam Cameron was coming through. So that was the, the first Dennis rebuild. You know, and you, you had all of these guys and the product was spread so thin that nothing really happened. And we're back there again. I don't think boxing would come back this time. Because I think there are far too many options for entertainment now. For fans to, to be begging boxing to deliver for them. Because the fans owe boxing nothing. And boxing's given the fans nothing. And yeah, I'll come back to the point. So in, in that sense, we're heading to a dark place. We're not there yet, but we're definitely heading to a dark place. Um, and let's switch gears and talk about Anthony Joshua. <laughs> so... Where are we on the Joshua tale? He loses to Usyk in the post-fight press conference. It's clear that him and McCracken aren't on the same page. And I've been saying this for a while. Because we know how McCracken likes his guys to box. Right? Really basic. Yeah, basic, solid fundamentals. Be fit, be strong. McCracken's not going to give you anything. There's going to be no slipping, no rolling, no catch and shoot, none of that. Yeah, you're going to grind them down with superior strength and fitness. That's McCracken 101. And the thing with Joshua is, that's what Joshua is. Yeah, he's a guy that grinds you down. He's not a guy like Wilder. Wilder will one punch you. Yeah, remember he dropped Fury in the fourth round after getting dropped himself. Wilder's a legit one punch guy. 
Fury's a legit one-punch guy as well. Joshua's not. He grinds you down. That's why it's mostly the referee stopping the fight. So, after the Usyk fight, where Usyk won comfortably, clearly you can see that there are things that aren't right in the camp. Now, I don't know if it's that Joshua's not sold on McCracken's methods, because whenever you see Joshua, he talks about, I'm a throwback fighter, I want to have skills, I want to entertain, I want to do this, I want to do that. But then why would you go with McCracken? McCracken has never been that sort of guy. Froch was entertaining because he had a chin. If Froch didn't have a chin, he would never have had the career he had. And it's a fact. And you, even Carl would accept that. Because there's certain punches he took that would have wiped anyone else out. Like, he should never have won that Groves fight. Like, first round, he got dropped. How the hell did he survive that? And then was it round six or round seven where George just laid into him? And anyone not called Carl Froch would have been stopped. So, I don't know if I was the first one to to let the world know that Joshua was out there touring gyms in sort of in the Bay Area, right? That's where King's Gym is, where Virgil Hunter trains. So Joshua goes out there to see Boatsy. And people also have to understand the connections here. Um, Sully Sissoko, who's friends with Tony Yoka, signed to AJ Boxing. So Joshua already had an in to Yoka. So those guys probably had discussions already. So you've gone in there, you've seen Yoka, worked with Yoka for a bit, gone and checked in on Boatsy, made sure he's okay. Then you go down to either LA or San Diego. I don't know where, where Reynoso's gym is. And you spend time with Eddie Reynoso, who's also got Frank Sanchez, Canelo, and so on and so forth. And then we hear he's in Texas now with Ronnie Shields and Effie, Effie Abochi, whatever his name is. Um, he's also there. Is Effie Jagba who's there with? I have no idea. And then you look at that and you go, okay, so what's he trying to do here? Um, he sent a, a cryptic message out, you know, trying to rediscover the, the inner dog in him and all this sort of stuff. And it all feels a bit desperate. I'm not saying this to take shots. I'm just breaking down what I know about getting a fighter who's been trained by someone else for a long period of time. You never get to give them everything you have because there's so much stuff that's immovable. So Joshua's chin is an immovable. You're not going to fix that. His, his desire to, to rest after working, you're never going to fix that. His, his desire to just sort of bounce from side to side and keep that tempo, you're not going to break that. And there are other things in Joshua's arsenal that are immovable. Because McCracken put them there, and he put them in there so early. Him and the other guys at Finchley put these things in there so early. You can't take them out now. You know, they're, they're baked into who he is. So going to all of these superstar trainers, it can give you a psychological boost, but not a technical boost. And before anyone starts talking to me about, look what Sugar Hill did with Fury. What I'll say with Sugar Hill is he took things out. He didn't really add anything. He took things out. So if you look at Wilder Fury 1, Fury moved a lot more in that fight than he did in the other two fights. Yeah. Sugar Hill Stewart had Tyson Fury doing more with less. Which is what you do. When you've got a mature fighter, you have him doing more with less. I don't know what you could take out of Joshua. There isn't much there to take out. It's quite, it's quite a basic arsenal. And 
it's not, you know, I mean, it's not public, but every trainer and their dog has reached out to Joshua either directly or indirectly saying, I can help you. He has all the free advice he could have in the world because that's, that's the next trainer's come up. Right? That, that's what we know. So, so what we know is he's got the McCracken side, the whole physical preparation bit. That's what he's got, right? And, and the, those basics that kind of got him to the top of the amateur world. Angel and Joby are now trying to add this kind of slick footwork, Cuban style. Hasn't worked. Okay? Be absolutely clear, it hasn't worked. I'm not saying that they're bad trainers. I'm saying that there's not much you can add to Joshua because McCracken's filled the pot. So what, so what Joshua would have to do now is pull that out because you can't layer in a Ronnie Shields on top of that because Ronnie would just go, I don't believe in any of this stuff. You'll come and do what I want you to do. And remember, Ronnie Shields is a guy, what's he now, 60-something? And he goes back to like the Tyson era. He might have even, I did a show on this before. I think he was helping out with the Olympic squads in the 80s. Ronnie Shields has been in the sport for a long time. So he's not going to want to follow suit with someone like a Joby Clayton because he's like, well, what does this guy know to be telling me anything? So there's nothing these guys are going to fix. Maybe a few tactical things, what he could have done against Usyk, but that's nothing McCracken doesn't know. That's nothing Joby doesn't know. There's nothing that you, the listeners, don't know. Do you see what I mean? So when people say he's going to get a new trainer, I can say with pretty much 100% confidence, McCracken will be in the corner in the next fight. That's all you need to know. McCracken will be in the corner. What Joshua is doing right now is just trying to get some new ideas, new inspiration, feel good about himself. That's all. But secondly, Joshua's a boxing nerd. So he, if, he, if he's on holiday in the States, why wouldn't he be in these environments? Why wouldn't he be soaking this up? And why wouldn't he be giving back? Because he's doing wonders for the gyms and the people involved. I think as, as a boxing person, I think it's fantastic what he's doing. If you're looking for, for answers... If you're looking for that philosopher's stone, it's too late for that. Come back home, come back to your team, and just fix the very basic things. There's only three things Joshua needs to fix to make the Usyk fight more competitive. Three things. I could say them publicly, but then what's my value? But there are three things. As for everything else, because if you're going to go anywhere, no disrespect, if I was going to go and ask someone how I beat Usyk, I'm only going to two people in the United States, maybe three. Chris Bird. Yeah? Chris Bird, the guy who's better than Usyk. I never want to hear anyone talk about Usyk as a great without mentioning Chris Bird. Do not do that. And then Antonio Tava. They're the two guys who fought as smaller guys at heavyweight who can talk Joshua through things. Here's some things you can try. And no one's actually thought to do that. You know why they haven't thought to do that? Because Joshua doesn't have boxing people around him. It's as simple as that. He doesn't have boxing people around him who would know that. Are we going to America? Can we get Chris Bird? Fly Chris Bird from wherever he is to Los Angeles. Let me talk to Chris Bird. Let me talk to Antonio Tava. Let me spend some time with Tava. No, let me soak in that knowledge. Let me understand what the Southpaws are thinking against a guy my size. That's what he should be doing. Yeah? At this point, it's not about what Joshua can do. We know what he can do. He's, it's not going to change. It's what does Joshua understand? What does he see coming back? He's not the most educated of boxers. 
This is a chance for him to do that. But he's got the wrong people. So it feels like a bit of a waste in that sense. But it's a massive boost for, for American boxing to have a guy like that in your gym. It's a big deal. So kudos to him for doing that because he doesn't have to do that. But I don't think those guys are going to fix him. And I don't, you know, you sound like a hater when you say stuff like that. But I just don't want to be the guy that's there going, oh my God, he's going to change trainers. I don't think he will. There's no need to. He has a setup that works in terms of preparing him for a fight. He's just missing the education bit. And a bit of common sense. But no, it's been good. And one of the things I think he posted, he posted earlier, you know, loyalty's key. And then he had the video of him and Rob McCracken working. So he's letting us know that McCracken's not going anywhere. So yeah, you know, let him enjoy his holiday. Let him come back. But if he's not, if he's not talking to Chris Bird, he's not talking to Antonio Tava. I don't know who he's talking to. God, you had Roy Jones here. Did he even speak to Roy when Roy was here? Don't know. But it's a lesson for young boxers. Always have boxing people around you. Because then you don't mess up. Number one. Number two, know yourself. Joshua will never be an old school throwback guy. You're not going to see Joshua with a cross-handed block like Ken Norton. You're not going to see Joshua using his hands to, to slap down straight punches from opponents like George Foreman did. You're just not going to see that because he hasn't got time to learn, nor has he got the neural capacity to learn now because he's, he's done so many of the wrong things in his, in his career up until now. You just got to make your peace with it. Just ride out with the with the skill set you have. You know, and people say, ah, but look at what Wilder did with Malik Scott. I think all, all Malik did was make him fight. Like it was more psychological than physical. And look at how long they've had together. That's what happens with trainers. Because coming back to my experiences, it takes six months for someone to understand what you're trying to teach them. Get to a year and they can execute it. But it's never 100% of what you believe because there's some things they can't move. And that's okay. You work with what you have and you optimize it. So let's, let's see what comes out of this. I have a feeling by the time Josh is in the UK, you'll see, you'll see more of the same stuff, the kind of fake Cuban stuff, running, weights, just basic stuff because he can't change. So did I see the... The Lyndon Arthur and Neyar press conference, 100%. And all I can say on the matter is, if Pat Barrett said he was going to punch me in the face, I'd be grateful there was security in the venue. I think it's, it's interesting that emotions are running really high now between the two camps because, and quite rightly, Pat Barrett wanted the return match in Manchester because Lyndon deserves it. He's the winner. And there's a frustration, and I feel this frustration, that the way this is all played out, you wouldn't believe Lyndon Arthur won the first fight. You wouldn't believe he's the guy. But he is. Lyndon Arthur is the guy that beat Anthony Yard and he hasn't been treated that way, which I think is unfair. And I don't think that's Anthony's fault. I think the reality is they saw Lyndon Arthur as a bump in the road and Anthony Yard is who's going to make Frank Warren money. Because deep down, I think they know. If Lyndon wins again, he's off somewhere else. And I would be too. I'd, I'd be straight on the Sky bandwagon because it's like, well, you guys don't love me. So Team Warren will want Anthony Yard to win. And so you see where the tension comes from because deep down, I think if Tunde and Pat sat down and talked boxing, I think they'd get along. I think they probably do get along behind the scenes. 
But there's a lot of anger on the Pat Barrett, Lyndon Arthur side at the lack of respect they've received. And it's quite right. They haven't been respected from the start. <laughs> Lyndon Arthur is a damn good amateur. And I've said this before. If there was no Joshua Boazzi, Lyndon Arthur would be top of that tree. And he's never been treated that way. And it's not fair. Pat Barrett, hell of a trainer. Look at everyone he's worked with and look at how they come out. Skillful. Have, have, have the old school tricks. Have everything they need. And people say, ah, but Zelfa's not that good. We don't know what Zelfa's ceiling was. Maybe Zelfa's overachieved. Maybe Lyndon's massively overachieved. I don't know. What I do know is he's taken a guy in Lyndon Arthur, decorated amateur, ex-Team GB, and he's kept him undefeated. He beat Anthony Yard. He's, he's done well with what he's had. He's a guy you should give more talent to. Guys like Denzel should have been with Pat Barrett. Yeah, that, that would have taken him to another level because Pat, Pat has those old school tenders. He has those old school, what do you call them, tools, the skill set. He has all of that. But he has an obsession with the fundamentals. I, I know a lot of guys from Collierhurst and Austin and they speak so highly of him. And you wonder, why don't people give him more fighters? It's a shame. I think he's a class act. I think he's a hell of a trainer. But those two guys fight December 4th. Hopefully, like I said this after the Wild, the Fury fight, hopefully these two just move on after this. Because I think they're, they're both headed in different directions. Not, not necessarily up or down, but I think Lyndon will go to another platform and work his way up the ladder. Yard will stay on his platform and work his way up the ladder. And maybe one day then they can do it all again for the rubber match. But for now, I don't know. I enjoyed it. It was mildly entertaining. <laughs> you had, you know, Pat Barrett, who's a legit scary man outside the ring. And Tunde Ajayi, who's Spencer Fearon's mate, but also a damn good trainer. So, you know, you can't disrespect him either. But in terms of guys who've really, really done it, I think Pat's got the edge on that one. If it was top trumps, you, you, I mean, you're 100% backing Pat Barrett on that one. So I just want to close out, you know, with an update on Porky, man. He's just sent me a video. He's home now. Um, I think he's still on the antibiotics, obviously. Post-op, they need to make sure that, you know, you don't get infected and that you're protected. He sounds better than he did last week. So I think being home has lifted his spirits. Being around his family has probably, you know, elevated him a lot. And now the long road to recovery begins. So we're not going to press him for too much. Just want him to recover because, you know, the boxing media landscape is not the same without Porky Russ. And, you know, we need him back as fit and as healthy as possible. But no, no, he's, he's in good form. He's in good shape. Um, he'll probably issue an update at some point. I think he just needs a few days to get used to his surroundings. But, you know, we just give thanks that he's still with us. And so on that note, I'll say, you guys take care. Remember, if you enjoy the content, like it, share it, introduce, introduce a friend or someone who's slightly ignorant on boxing Twitter, just introduce them to this and say, look, maybe you need to listen to a few more of these before you start ranting and raving. Have a good day, guys. Take care. Bye. Beat Lucy, but I don't know if... I don't think he will. I don't think he'll be able to get himself in the mental. I'm hearing there's going to be big changes. There's going to be big changes with his uh, 
with his, with his training team. I don't know how that's going to pan out. I think Rob McCracken, if he's listened to and he's able to do what he does without people interfering, is one of the best trainers in the world. Is right? that an important point, Carl? Because a lot of the critics just went straight for Rob McCracken, didn't they, online? Yeah, and how many people have you got sticking red in the corner? How many people hanging around the changing rooms? How many people are in, in the camp yeah. blowing down his ear off, AJ's ear off? Yeah. And Rob, Rob's respectful of people, but listen, he's, he's the boss. He should be the one giving instructions. And sometimes I feel that yes, that's not the case, but he won't stay where he's not wanted. But hopefully, hopefully um, AJ realises that what he needs to do is downsize a little bit, go back to basics, and remember, remember when all his best performances came in, when he climbed up the canvas to beat Ian Klitschko, who was in his corner, who was he listening to? You know, he lost to Ruiz, but then he won the rematch against Ruiz. He's just put in a stinker of a performance against the top fighter. Don't try and outbox someone like Alexander Usyk. That'd be like me trying to outbox, probably not the same, but a little bit similar. When I, when I fought Lucian Butte, I was never going to try and stand and box and move around him and, and try and outbox him and that thing. No chance, because he was taller than me. He could punch a bit, it's an awkward sidewalk. So I went at him, stuck it on him, backed him up, fucking smashed him to the Battered him instead, eh? That's how you do it. Yeah. Now, if you've got height and reach and weight advantage on somebody who's better than you, technically, 